then we've got a great panel for you, right across the genres, drama, live, features, uh, history. We've got a really, really great panel to talk to you about what they do every day in their jobs. When we have our panel conversation, we'll have a quick tea break, and then we're just going to split into small groups, and we're just going to do some scenarios. So we'll work through some of the things, this panel here, what's going wrong, what disasters have they had to deal with on a daily basis, because a lot of production management is crisis management and dealing with things that go wrong. Not sort of things like when you buy a show and you don't have a talent, not big things, but um, other, other types of crisis. So um, we'll just work with those, and I'm not going to say the word, word role play because we're not doing work um, role play at all, but we're just going to have little chats to talk through, again, what your daily life might be like if you worked in production coordination. And the reason uh, we're here tonight is because all of us here want to tell you what brilliant jobs you can have in a production coordination and production management role. We also want to tell you that there's a massive shortage in the industry. So if you want to be a researcher or a producer director, the queue is down, round up to the surface and down to the south coast. But people knowing about the production coordinator roles in the entry routes is, is really rare. So we have a real shortage. So all broadcasters, Channel 4, Channel 5, BBC, have come together uh, to pay for this new training programme so we can train up 50 new production coordinators. And we've got our partners here from ITV Studios who are also going to help and they're going to do a fantastic day training uh, those that get through in the studio. And we're also doing it with the Indie Training Fund, give us way, um, who uh, train up all the Indies and they're also part of our training so for those of you who want to find out more about our 10-day uh, boot camp, our training programme, Angela will tell you a bit more about that. But we're, there's a lot of us, anybody who's around the edges here today can tell you about that programme and how to apply. But first of all, I'm going to hand over to Angela and she's going to do a little bit of housekeeping and uh, introduce you to the panel. Thanks Donna. Hello, my name is Angela Williams. I work in the BBC Academy and I run production training. I promise I will show you some films later, but they're going to come in the panel discussion. tonight. So, uh, as I was saying, it's a 10-day programme. It's going to be split into two separate weeks. The first week is actually going to run right at the end of November. And then the second week is going to be in January. We think it's going to be the second week in January. We're just, just hanging on because we've got this brilliant day at ITV Studios lined up for you. And we're, we're waiting to check with them as to what's the day that's going to run on. So in the first week, there's going to be um, two days delivered by BBC Academy, which is focusing on the really key skills you need to work as a production coordinator. So that's looking at how you would set up location filming in the UK and abroad, how to set up a studio show, um, contracting people, um, looking at how you schedule, looking at how you budget. Derek will be delivering that to them as our expert. There's going to be um, something on sustainability. Um, we're also going to have uh, a visit to a post-production house. We're going to look at new technology. We've got a great area in the BBC called Blue Room, so we take it to that and show you the new fix of it. Um, what else are we going to be doing? We're going to have an introduction to working in the studios as a uh, what we call a script supervisor. When you work in a studio gallery or control room, you're called a script supervisor, so it's looking specifically at that role in preparation for the day we go to ITV. Um, we're going to take the mandatory training that we need you to have, so that's on health and safety, working with children, editorial policy, uh, fair trading, data protection, etc. etc. Then um, you can have two fantastic days with in Indie Training Fund, and that's going to be all about rights. So that's all about um, copyright, music, stills, archive clearances. Um, they've got a really exciting masterclass lined up looking at working on a fixed rig show. There's going to be a day on post production paperwork and deliverables. That's that first week. That's very, very packed, isn't it? Um, and then in the second week, as I was saying, there's going to be a whole day at ITV Studios, and that's going to include a bit of hands-on in another studio, having a really go at doing some things. Uh, we're going to take you location shooting for two days. That's at our BBC site called Morton, which is in the Cotswolds. Um, we're going to put you up in the hotel for the night between that, and we're going to take that shoot through to an edit, so you can see that whole process. Um, we have got another day for you with the Indie Training Fund and they're going to be really looking at all 
you need to work in the job, so they're going to be looking at negotiating skills, influencing skills, working with talent, dealing with difficult people, those two aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, how to present yourself, what does a good CV look like, how do you go about networking? And then finally, um, on the last day, we're, gonna, we're calling it our inspirational day, and we've got lots of really great people coming in to talk to you about what they do in production management at different levels. And very excitingly, we have got our partners who are going to be offering a contract to people coming off the training, coming in to meet all of you and see who they are potentially going to be offering jobs to. So that's the training programme. I think it's pretty good. So please do assign. Okay, so I'm really, really delighted to be joined by our panel tonight, who are all experienced practitioners working in television production management. On my far right is Jude Lynn Stanley. Jude's a freelance TV line producer and she's the founder of the Unit List, which is a free TV jobs website. Jude's works on a really huge range of programmes um, across genres ranging from children's TV through entertainment and on to documentaries. But she says that the show that she most often gets asked about that she worked on is the reality series The Nightclub Toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Donohoe is a freelance production manager and line producer. He's worked at the BBC, ITV, Channel 5, Disney and Major Indies. He's probably best well known for his work on EastEnders, particularly the week of live programming which went out to celebrate the show's 30th anniversary in which he headed up the award-winning production management team. Vivia Tonieri, I really hope I said that correctly, started her career at BBC Bristol working on news and documentaries and she later moved to London where she worked on BBC coverage of major live events such as Trooping of the Colour, D-Day 60, Live 8. For the past 10 years she's been working as a freelance production manager specialising in live output including Stargazing Live, Airport Live and Planet Earth Live. Trevor Vadara is a production executive at Keo Films, who specialise in observational documentaries and factual features. Trevor joined Keo in 2008 as a production coordinator and worked his way up to production manager and then production executive. His credits include River Cottage, Meet the Natives, Hughes War and Waste, and Exodus, Our Journey to Europe. Laura Kennedy is a junior production coordinator working in the BBC History Department on documentaries. She is the most important person on this panel tonight because she's the closest to where you all are at the moment. So Laura's been working in the role for just over a year after graduating from Leeds University with a degree in broadcast journalism and she's currently undergoing her doctoral training. So when we have that break, we can ask her all about what it's really like. Um, so to begin with, let's have a look at a short film of some of our colleagues in production management talking about what they love about their jobs. My favourite part of my job is that the people. Being the facilitator for everybody else and being the person other people rely on. Seeing an idea through from when we were very first discussing this could be something we might possibly do through the production process and right through to the end. We get to see it all the way through. Overseeing a really smooth production. Not that that ever really happens. Mostly, I think it's probably the problem solving. Constantly being kept an eye told about what's going on. It's good for great things like you, we've just been able to pick them out and deal with them and then help them get things on air. Trying circumstances, feeling like a difference, feeling like you can help other people. When the programme goes well, it's, I think mean, you've contributed to it, it's a good thing. You get to go to the most incredible places that you wouldn't usually get to go to. When you're working long hours and you can't see the end result, um, sitting down watching what you've made and watching the finished programme is probably the most rewarding. Then you back to the subject, the programmes you're looking on. Uh, it's always interesting. Bringing a creative idea to the foreground and to budget it. Alex's budget is a thing of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'd like to come to all of our panel um, in turn um, and get them to tell you their personal story about how they got to where they are today and why they ended up working in production management. And I'd like to come to you first, Trevor, actually, because you, you had quite an unusual route into production management, didn't you? Um, Hi everyone. Hi. Um, yes, so I got into production management after having another career. Um, I was a facilities manager at Channel 4 Television, so I'd been in and around the television making process, but never really in it properly because they don't make their own stuff. That's why I believe amazing So I was there for nine years, it took quite a period of redundancy, and I had no idea what I was going to do next. 
been there for so long that, um, <laughs> you know, I was great in my role and I, you know, really knew me, I loved everybody, but going out into the wide world was very, very scary. And I kind of, you know, sat around for a couple of weeks thinking what am I going to do, how do you write a CV, hadn't written a CV since I was, you know, in school, what do I do? And somebody that I'd worked at the channel for suggested that I apply for a production training scheme that I run at the time. They felt that because I had good people skills and you know I could problem solve to a degree, that it might be something that I would, you know, flourish in. So I did. I went on the course and got through to the final round, as most of you will do, hopefully things was. Um, and I was asked to to tell them which production company it would be that I would like to go to, based on a list of 12 that they had. There was only one production company that I wanted to go and work for, based on their output, and that was Kia. And they said, okay, fine, we'll try and set up an interview. They rang Kia and said, we've got this guy who's coming along, to which they said, mm, you know, it's funny you should call because we're thinking of putting out the scheme. Um, we don't think it's something that we can really get involved in, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, whatever excuse it was, they just didn't want it. But out of courtesy, because they are a great company, I'm not just saying that, they gave me the opportunity to go and interview, which I did, and eight years later I'm still there. So, you know, it worked for me, even though I came from a completely different background. It's the opportunity in making the most of it. And what do you think's kept you in production management? What do you like? What do I like? I like the fact that no two programs that I work on are the same. Every single day of the week is something different. The, the structure is the same, but what you build inside that structure every day is different. And the different programs you make, you're constantly learning. It's like being at school you know, year in, year out, year in, year out. My head of production is also my headmistress, and I do have to do lines, and I do get attention. You know, but that, that's the thing that keeps me in TV, is just the constant you know, renewal of energy and ideas and exciting things. Very happy. Jude, I know that you initially wanted to work in costume, didn't you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to work in um, period costume, actually. And uh, I managed to get some work experience um, in those departments and some dramas um, and started to um, investigate exactly how I would become part of that team um, in a real job. And it became quite apparent that a lot of doors were closed to me because I hadn't been to fashion school and I didn't have a degree in history. so. Nobody was really interested in taking me on in that area. Um, but from that, I realised that all the little tasks that they'd given me, I was quite good at organising logistics and coming up with solutions to problems that were presenting themselves on a daily basis. Um, so I started going to look into the um, possibility of going into production management. Um, and I uh, decided that I would do that and I would start as a runner and I would look to do the kind of slightly more production secretary, coordinator route, so probably a little bit more traditional than uh, a lot of people. Um, and I also decided at the time to investigate whether I actually did need to go to university and decided I would not do that. There's a smaller number of things of people that work in production that haven't been to university and I would be one of those. Oh. Okay, so none of us then. Laura has indeed been to university. So you, you studied broadcast journalism, so what led you into production management? Uh, I was lucky enough to get a placement um, at Watchdog uh, at the end of my degree. Um, and then there, um, you really got to see every aspect of the production, and I looked at the coordinators and I was like, that's, that's what I want to be doing. Um, so I expressed that to the production manager, and she was kind enough um, to talk through with me and give me some tips. Um, and then I went home at the end of the placement and I was like, what next? Um, and then a week later, I got an email from her and she was like, do you want to come back for the next series as a production management system? So that's how I got into it. And can you tell everyone how many days you've been out of work in the last year? About, about two. You also started from a different direction, didn't you, moving to production yeah, management? Yeah, I always wanted to make natural history programmes, and actually, to like, I wanted to make natural history programmes. That was what I first seen on television that I thought, yeah, I really want to do that. Um, but actually, it's, all, it's notoriously difficult to find your way through. Uh, so actually, I've petitioned the, you, you are all far too young, but I've petitioned the office of the programme called 999, which was about people in terrible disasters. 
and I wrote him a letter every week in Monty Comedy. Uh, <laughs> letter. I'd love to come and do some work experience, can I do some work experience with you? Uh, and uh, I did not get a response, just to let you know that effort was in vain. However, in the meantime, I managed to meet a few people and, um, and I ended up um, getting into the uh, bit of the BBC that I wanted to in, in, in a certain respect. I was at BBC in Bristol, which is where the Natural History Unit is based. Uh, but I was actually in the regional television uh, department, and they trained me up as a broadcast assistant, which is script supervising, uh, running auto queue, daily management, sometimes daily management of seven or eight crews. And so at that point, I realised I kind of understood this side, and that there's a, there's a huge level of satisfaction to it when you can understand it. You know, at the end of the day, all seven crews have covered all of the stories that you wanted them to do. And, you know, you've managed to put a television programme on air, it actually feels really great. So I really enjoyed that. And eventually I moved across the, um, to the other side of the car park, still not the natural history, but the features department, and um, ended up working on a fantastic series called Rainier's Extreme Survival, uh, which was a brilliant show, lots of foreign filming. Uh, I didn't go on all of it, so I went to some of it, uh, but some of the programmes I'm most proud of that came out of that series. And it was a really good grounding, but as you alluded to, the grounding that I really feel kind of gave me confidence was working with the events department when I came to London. Uh, because the shows, although some of them have been running for many years, they still always have their anomalies. And, um, and also, you're talking to very high people, and you're talking to lots of dignitaries, and suddenly you realise the importance that your paperwork is absolutely precise. It's going to the garrison sergeant major, it's going to Cuppin and Paris, it's going to all the places. And that proved instilled in me quite a strict regimen of how you do the job, make sure. And that actually makes the job a lot easier, is if you approach a job and say, right, the way to do this one is going to be this. And as long as I've done all of those things, we're going to have a safe, happy production. And Derek, you came from an accountancy background, didn't you? I did, yeah. I mean, uh, I always wanted new problems to be in production management. Um, where I started my career basically as a runner in the accounts department uh, in BBC Drama. Um, I saw a job advertised for, as this runner and they applied for it and I was lucky enough um, to actually physically get it. Um, and then it was even luckier whilst I was working there they decided they wanted to bring on a whole team sort of a new assistant accountants and I saw the job uh, sort of advertised and I decided to sort of apply for that. Uh, and luckily enough, I was shortlisted and got the job. So, um, for 10 years, basically, I worked for BBC Drama, working as an accountant and then production accountant. Um, and it was only when I went freelance and worked as a production accountant in the outside world, I remade contact with some people I've made here. Uh, and they then offered me my sort of first opportunity in production management. And I think, you know, you can get a sense from the story that everyone's told you that people do really come from all different backgrounds and previous experience, and it really doesn't matter because it's all about transferable skills, and we'll talk a bit more about them a bit later on about sort of qualities you need. But don't worry too much about where you are now, it's thinking about where you want to be in the future, and is it the right role for you, have you got the right qualities to bring to it? So we're going to have a look at another couple of um, short films now, which are um, people talking about what has been their biggest challenge in production management or kind of the most outrageous thing that they've been asked to do. My biggest challenge undoubtedly has been the 30th anniversary project of EastEnders 19-day pre-shoot, uh, tagged on to uh, four nights consecutively of going live to celebrate the 30th anniversary getting to know the 75 staff who work days and nights and shifts and you can go weeks without seeing somebody. We turned around a brand new studio show in about nine weeks. We went to New Orleans after the hurricane and we had to send a team in there. We couldn't find any hotel accommodation for them, we couldn't find any travel and literally all we could do is put them on a flight with a tent in their, um, in their bag uh, with no idea of actually where they're going to end up and just trust that you know we can help try and support them once it hit the ground. Trying to be an authority figure and um, so try to have those difficult conversations with people to give them crews safely through security at Moscow Airport. They refused to let us through all our lovely silver boxes and um, we had to encourage them 
and um, about all your communications in order to be able to get something done. Um, and in this particular challenge, um, actually, weirdly, um, it was for it was for a radio documentary. Um, we uh, we sent a presenter, a BBC presenter, and a producer um, to Haiti a year after the earthquakes to do a follow-up um, for radio about um, what was going on there and who was doing what, what all the different outreach projects were doing, just a bit of a catch-up, really. Um, and while we were there, during that week we were supposed to be there, um, there, was, um, there was a general election which the uh, majority of the country felt had been rigged the outcome and something a little bit like if any of you were sort of aware of the stuff that went on when we had riots here in London it was a bit like that but kind of a hundred times worse um, in that they had to shut the country had to shut the airport because staff couldn't safely actually arrive at the airport to operate customs um, because people were being pulled out of cars and shot and torched and uh, there were sort of bombs going off everywhere and streets being closed and all that kind of thing. So we basically had two members of team um, stuck in a country and we couldn't physically get them out. We couldn't get them across the border to ship them out somewhere else because um, that was too dangerous. We couldn't get them out on any flights because all the, the airport had been closed and all the flights had been cancelled. So in, we, it wasn't a place that we had considered as particularly high risk um, at the time, um, but we did fortunately, uh, because it was a BBC project, we are, were actually allowed to utilise BBC resources, um, and that includes their pretty amazing high-risk high safety team, who are just an awesome bunch of people. And so working together, but kind of basically us going, what about this for a plan? And then going, yeah, do it. <laughs> and this is how you should do it, uh, is uh, what we ended up doing. So we had to, so I say we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my, team, my brilliant team on the ground. So that's the presenter himself and the producer, who are both used to going to high-risk places and coming up with all sorts of ideas of how they can actually leave the country safely. Um, and I know no, NATO said you can't do that, um, BBC said you can't do that. Um, so what we ended up doing in the end is uh, we located um, a, an aircraft that we could fly in from Florida to an airfield. We managed to talk to the right kinds of people in order to be able to get them in and organise visas and sort of passport checks in order to get them out and into Florida. And then with the help of the high-risk safety team, we located a company uh, in the region who supplied some gentlemen with guns um, who had to warn me, oh, by the way, we are, we are allowed to uh, shoot to kill you. And I was like, what do you mean? Basically, if somebody attacks the car that we are going to take your team to the airfield in, we will kill them. So I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll be ready to go, we'll be fine. So basically the entire country had shut down. Um, all the hotel staff were being forced to stay and live in the hotel. Um, everybody was being rationed because we didn't know how long it was going to be on for. So I had an, I had an aircraft arriving, I had a car arriving with guns in it. Um, we managed to get them to the airfield, we managed to get them out, get them into Florida, and it was all done very successfully. But you kind of sometimes feel like I get the feeling you're being almost pranked. And I've lived this my life. If somebody like genuinely, like somebody's life is actually in my hands, and if I don't do the right thing for safety, and the right people don't know at the time what's happening, if I haven't got clearance for them to be able to enter the country because you know they're coming in unexpectedly, um, what happens next? Um, so fortunately we were able to um, make that return um, successfully, um, but it wasn't really something I was expecting to deal with, quite frankly. Well, I think that's an amazing story, and it's just, it just demonstrates the level of responsibility. Yeah, that's, that's not normal. I have, yes. Stories do pop up within making programmes because that's the nature of what we do. You know, you go to places where something else is going to happen. But those kinds of quite extreme events are, are generally not a normal occurrence. So just to not scare you. <laughs>
it puts in mind something you said from Trevor when we were speaking before this event about you know the, the care you take with everyone you're working with and objecting is the care you'd extend to your own children. <laughs> I, I think this yeah. is, it's quite a nice moment to sort of move into talking about the kind of skills and qualities that you feel people would need to work in this area. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, just picking up on what Julie was saying, a, a lot of what we do, I know for me, a lot of what I do is it's all about looking after my team. If I look after my team, they will work hard, they will produce good content, everybody loves it, it goes up on screen, we win awards, pat on the backs, job done. But the, the essence of that is all about people's health and people's safety. So that's, you know, the bit at the top. And sometimes you have to, you know, write this assessment, it's a bit scary when you've never done it before, how, you, how do you mitigate the risk that somebody might have on location? Um, it's hard. But you do have lots of support to call on, particularly with BBC. BBC high risk are amazing to do that kind of thing. There are also, you know, third-party agencies that you can contract to come and help you out, review your assessments, and look after you. But you know, just to in response to your question, it's, it's more about just taking care of your crew. And I said to Angela that it's it's like parenting. If you know, if any of you've got kids. You might as well bring your kids to work because that's pretty much what it's like. With all due respect, you know, they are all grown-ups, but they do like to be told what to do, where to go, what time they need to be there, you know, that it's that kind of have a problem or is it they woke up with a headache, they haven't had enough coffee, you know, they stuck their toe on the way into the room. You know, what is really the issue and how you can quickly get that for somebody in order to respond quickly, give them what they need, and then move on because there is another problem always. So Laura, you've been in the role just over a year. Is it like you thought it was going to be? Is there anything that's really surprised you about it? Uh, well you certainly get put into a lot of uh, situations um, last minute that you can't prepare for and that you've never been prepared for. Um, so I guess um, a good skill to have is being calm under pressure. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, think, I, think, I mean, I think it was quite like I expected it to be. It's, it's a lot of um, organising, it's a lot of um, yeah, looking after people, like you say, but um, but yeah, but there are a lot of things that you that you can't that you can't prepare for. So in that respect, no, because you, you can never predict it. So yes, I remember the day that I realised, oh, this is what I've got to do. Nine people, the real fast of nine different things, and they all said it's the most important. Yeah, and I suddenly had to go, ah, oh, right, it's time for me to work out what is actually. Yeah, so I wonder if you can help me. Just 
emails, um, actually that's getting on the phone, which is something that, um, because clearly I'm old, I, the people that are coming into um, work on productions that are, you know, like a good 10 years, 10, 15 years younger than me, seem to have an issue with picking up the phone, which we all find quite difficult because within production management sometimes the quickest way to get something sorted is to get on the phone and then when you don't get the answer you want, you phone up again and you get somebody else and then you get the answer that you need. Um, or you just you just keep going basically, but phones most definitely, or um, stalking things. <laughs> Sorry, I mean uh, investigative research. So you know perhaps things like in the early days, if you're looking for uh, somebody wants you to find a particular person to work on your show. Of course, they've worked with them before. They do not have any contact details for this person. So you need to use your uh, experience and your contacts and your um, just different ways of thinking. Where might you find details for this person? Who do you think might have them? And that does include things like being able to use social media is essential, um, but also kind of you know um, thinking about industry directories, thinking about other people that you live in that are in the building. It's about being resourceful about what's at your fingertips and being able to do that very, very quickly, but also things like recording your movements as well. So, um, particularly if you're working in a much bigger team. I love a spreadsheet. Who loves spreadsheets? Very good. Everybody who says spreadsheets win. Um, so, which are not just for uh, accountancy, but actually casting using them quite a lot. Production management use spreadsheets all the time for recording different things. So you've got a task that's ongoing you need to make sure that you're always recording. I spoke to this person at this time, this is what they said, this is the action that we will do next. Because quite often you're sharing tasks with different people as well, and you're sharing it with editorial. Um, so there may be things where they're crossing over. So they, that's again part of your communication, is being able to use your software resources effectively. Um, a really big thing is attitude as well, actually. There's nothing worse than having a production coordinator who's technically brilliant, great at data wrangling, great at doing the figures, but actually has a face that nobody wants to approach because they're constantly like that. <laughs> and then what happens is people then, you know, gravitate towards perhaps the production manager or the production secretary. You've already got their own stuff to do with and they're like, why aren't you talking to the piece in a... Um, so actually, it's kind of... It's about being open, being cheerful, being calm under pressure. Being, if the coordinator's calm, everybody else seems to kind of draw from that, which is um, a pretty amazing skill to have. And also it helps, as I'm sure you're aware, if you've ever looked into the possibility of actually how much work is available for coordinators. My God, if you're looking at any jobs board, probably like 50% of it is going to be jobs for coordinators. Um, and that's because it's such an essential skill that kind of underpins the entire production. Every single thing that you're doing, the coordinator is going to be involved in at some point. Um, so you get a great overview of what, whatever's happening for the show. It means that your skills are developing all the time. But on the other hand of that, you need to be able to have that personality and that character that people are giving you the information as well. Because you're so busy, you're not always checking up with people. You need people to want to talk to you as well. And it's an essential part of keeping the production running smoothly is that information is coming into production management and you can send it out onto the next place it's going to go to. So, um, the coordinator control is right there in the centre. Absolutely, it's right in the centre. It's the person that they all come to for the information. So, yeah. if they want to know, know what's happening the next day, the coordinator is the person that they'll And that's across that all the different departments as well, actually. Um, so, yeah, um, it's an actually essential part of the production. Thank you. Let's open up the floor some questions now. If you'd like to ask a question, could you put your hand up and someone will come to you with a microphone? Hi. There was a, a reference to uh, looking after your teens if they're your children. Um, I wonder if I can ask a relatively personal question and ask if you have children, do you see them? And how does, that, how does the work-life balance of, of the role work? I can ask that. I have, a, I have a 19-year-old daughter, so she has grown up as I have grown up in town. And I will not say that it's been easy. In the job that we do, it is not nine to five. As long, it, it, it is and it isn't. 
for me when I work on production, I'm on tour as long as my production is in production. Even if I'm having a day off into the weekend and nothing's happening, I'm still on call. Um, I still get to you know, see friends, see family, but when that phone rings, it's a member of my production team, she might have to continue watching Tony Tucker on her own while I, you know, I've got to get somebody out of Haiti or respond to a particular situation. I'm just saying that given the kind of programs that I work on demand that level of attention and support. You know, but yes, you will get holidays, you will get days off, and you will see your families at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd just like to add to that. So, I've, um, uh, there's a couple of coordinators um, that I have worked with recently who are mums, they've got younger children. They make it work, but they are very, uh, they're very experienced in the moment that they do. They've chosen specifically to stay as effectively career coordinators rather than move up into production management because um, they find it easy to do the jobs that they're doing. They know the routines, they've got all the shortcuts, they've got all the contacts, they've got all the templates and everything set up. And actually, um, there are certain jobs that I would go to them because I know that the way that the job is working, actually, yeah, it's fine. Is she starting before everybody else? Um, and she comes into the office first. Um, and she's leaving at three because she's got to go and do a pickup. But I know that she's back online and she's working from home at seven o'clock. So if there's stuff that she needs to do, she will pick it up. And she works at, she's, uh, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it's about, but it's about kind of being about what the job is and what commitments you need to fit around those hours. So it can work, it's, it's not always easy, and I think there are some genres that are easier to balance parenthood in. So things that are more controllable, perhaps, things that are uh, perhaps, uh, things like pre-recorded studio shows, game, like daytime things, so game shows, quiz shows, makeover things, those kinds of projects um, that have a much more controllable environment mean that your timings of when you're required to be able to work are much more controlled. If you're working in documentary, if you're working in news, if you're working in sort of fact end, any of those things. I mean, if, particularly if it involves people going abroad or in different time zones, all those kinds of things, it's going to be more tricky to balance that. But it's not impossible. <laughs> i just add one thing. Sort of in the drama area, you sort of have big prep periods and big post periods where it's sort of shorter hours during those times. In the filming period, obviously, you can work longer days during that period. So there are times where it's quieter and you can get away earlier and, and work at home and set things up at home. I think the expectation during the filming is sort of that you are there whenever you meet is working, basically. Hi, um, I was just wondering actually about um, going abroad and how much of your time is spent sort of on location or just on your various production days. Um, I go abroad lots for the bit that I do. So, so I don't production manage the whole of Starbazing Live, but I do the whole of the, um, of the forum at some broadcast, wherever that's coming from. So it depends what you want to do, and it's actually about focusing your career a little bit. Um, once you, I was talking to Angela before this, and one of the best things you can do for yourself at the beginning is make sure you've got a broad understanding of everything, so that you can do any local productions. And one of those specific TV skills is script supervising, but it's absolutely a brilliant thing to have, because that is why I got picked to do what I do, because I do a kind of all-encompassing role. So I production manage it, I coordinate it, and then when we're live, I'm doing the little script supervising on location. So I'm sitting in the truck, I'm making sure the presenter is getting a count in her ear, knows what she's doing, all that kind of stuff. So that gave me the opportunity. But I wanted to travel as well. So I started to look for those types of roles. I really enjoy live television. I realised I didn't love long form. And that's for various reasons. You know, we're all different people. And for me, I found that I couldn't get an answer for something for a long time because there's too many things needed to happen in order to get the answer. Live, you're on telly, it was terrible, but it's finished. But yes, yeah, so I get to go abroad maybe two or three times a year and for different periods, so sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes eight weeks, sometimes six weeks, depending on the project and, and what I've been asked to, to do. So there's plenty of opportunity. And there is, in, um, in the long-form documentary, there's also 
the opportunity to go um, if you're doing a big chunk of filming in America. You know, this, it's almost impossible without a coordinator because the AP suddenly has to do the stuff that you would be doing. And, um, and actually, it's too much. They've got too many jobs. So it, it's kind of gone back and forth over the years. So it used to always be a coordinator went, and then they were like, yeah, I need a coordinator. And then they had some very tired, angry, upset producers with bad content and you know they misfilmed stuff you know like where's all the going from that day like well we were exhausted and we had to stop and still record and they realised that this was a bit of a you know bit of a um, false economy so coordinators seem to be going back out to do those things as well um, which are all very rewarding very rewarding to get to see the world I've seen some amazing things. Um, I would just like to counter that because I don't work in events but I don't work in events so I've done um, Quite a bit of studio entertainment stuff, and I've done factual entertainment, factual documentaries. Um, in my world, not so much travel um, for production management. Um, we just don't have the budgets. Um, you just basically have to be um, on your Wi-Fi pretty much 24/7 to be able to kind of deal with things, or you're having Skype uh, chat, you know, uh, catch-ups and things like that. There's not a huge amount of opportunity for that. I would say uh, if you if it's something that's important to you. Um, it's either looking at potentially kind of natural history stuff, maybe, um, there is opportunity for that, um, but also uh, perhaps factual entertainment. So if you're looking at things that are kind of daily, you know, like flipping Ibiza reps being horrific or something, I don't know, something for, something for a BBC Three audience perhaps, um, that's, you know, uh, filming a long time over the summer, like a good sort of eight, ten weeks or something, over the summer, it's more likely that the production management team would be on location for that kind of programme. Um, documentaries, absolutely not. There's never any cash for that to do it remotely. Um, and for factual, they're pretty self-contained anyway. So um, unless you um, sort of have data wrangling skills, sometimes that's quite helpful. Um, yeah, I Yes, absolutely. If you have a foreign language, you can normally manage to persuade somebody to get you to go because it's easy for you to be there it's on vacation. Yeah, I, it's interesting because recently I've been <coughs> two or three long-form documentaries that have gone out. And you're right, in some respect they're based around an event that's going to take that amount of time. But they've definitely taken coordinators with them because they realise that the APs are producers oh, were just... It, it has been uh,
So when I go abroad, it's good to know that I've got somewhere to sleep, I've got some transport when I get to the other country, and um, I can really concentrate on doing my job, which is the journalism side of things. The sense that you're not in it alone, um, that there is somebody or a group of people there who actually have the same interest in the final output that you do. Production management team, you can throw anything at them and you know they're going to try and come up with a solution. And if they can't come up with a solution, they will tell you honestly what they're trying to do is mad. I see the production management team very much as the, the oil of the cogs of the production process. They're the people that get the show on the road and then keep the show on the road. Always approachable, um, always super busy, but never too busy to help you out, especially if it was urgent, but even if we're on air every day, yeah, we're a 24-7 operation and you ring breakfast at 3.30 on Christmas morning and someone will pick up the phone and say, how was breakfast? If I need to go down to uh, London to the sea and help my family out with any little small situation or major situations, and the production management team are always very there to sort of understand the situation and help me sort that out and get down there in time. That production management team are just working like projects all the time. I think the production management is amazing as we keep and if they possible take a little longer. Yeah, we lose hands along the sky guiding to Silverstone to the lock setting up and cancelled events at very short notice um, and we had to rearrange that uh, event in a completely different location. So it was involved overseas travel, accommodation, uh, sort of hotel plane bookings and also all the uh, unilateral fees and multilateral fees all done in between Christmas and New Year. I think anywhere you look where there's success, successful production, and particularly where perhaps things unexpected occur and they can dealt with it effectively, most of that is down to the predictable production management team. That's what you sort of expect from production management, but we also take that into account. So, production management, Steve Cross, really summed it up there. The amazing industry team, but impossible to take this longer. Massive thank you to our brilliant panel, Jude, Derek, Vivian, Trevor. Thank you, trying to work a chair and acting so that you can and see everything together. So we're just going to have a quick break for about 10 minutes. And obviously, everyone here is staying around, so do ask your questions. Don't forget, we've got Sam and Gemma at the back, and Jackie and Lee, who's around as well, on TV, to answer any questions. Our scenario is transport. Okay, this is a real-life scenario. It really happened. I spoke to the girl who had to have a heart bypass after this. You are a trainee PC on the, vo on the voice. You have particular responsibility for travel for the artists. All four voice coaches are travelling by train to Manchester to take part in the studio recording. The train breaks down. It didn't actually break down, there was lots of weather was bad. The trains were stopping. So the train breaks down and no more trains can get through to reach the passengers. The live studio recording is in two hours' time. What do you do and what is most crucial? So what do we, would we have to think about first? And we've got those coaches. So you've got Ricky, Kylie, Tom, and Will I Am on that train, which is quite amazing anyway. It's very expensive train, but they do. They have travelled up by train with their various entourages. A couple of them are in first class, a couple aren't. Um, you can work out who is and who isn't. <laughs> what, we get that call to say the trains have stopped. What are we um, first going to think about? Where are they when it stops? Yeah, was there a station? Good question. So let's assume they are an hour outside of Manchester. So halfway along, we've still got an hour. Like you say, you'd have to sort of assess if they're anywhere close to like even reaching the station. Yeah. Could you then somehow find some transportation that could get you within an hour to. Yeah, so yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, if there's any like local taxi groups Definitely. that are around there, just yeah. call them up and be like, get to the station at this point. Because I don't know if. Um, within the situation, if they would evacuate the train or if they would keep people on the train? I think the yeah. issue is, you would, well, I suppose that's what you'd find out. They're, yeah. they're, it's not, of course, it's not just the coaches on that train, it's everybody. So, mm. what what do they do with everybody? So, they've stopped the train, so presumably everybody's being chucked off. Yeah. There's another issue that we have to think about first of all. Mm. And who, you know, they're quite important people, so we've got to try and make sure that they're protected from, you know, you've got Kylie there, you know, she's going to be, although she's chosen to travel, yeah. first of all, you know, I think our first contact would be with our presenters, yeah. to say, are you alright? You know, are you safe where you are? Yeah. Safe seems a bit dramatic, but are things alright? Um, 
and think about what, what we can do about keeping it. Do we keep them on the train? Yeah. If they come off, they're just going to sit in the taxi waiting room while yeah. we wait for the taxi. So you're immediately thinking about things like that. Also, you know, how, how many people have got phones? You know, have they got enough battery in their phone? Or is there other men? How many with them? You know, their entourage. Who's got the phone with the most juice? So we're not going to run out yeah. of, of juice, really. Um, so what would we do thinking about their safety? Or where are we going to? What can we do to put them somewhere while they're waiting? some small station is there a local hotel so we could get a room in a local hotel that's nearby that they can get there somehow or other because you may have a local cab that can take them there but maybe that means it's really going to want to come all the way to Manchester but initially you want to get them somewhere where they're they're protected it sounds like you know it's a war zone it's not but we know what we need we want them to be somewhere that they're going to feel safe and they're not going to worry about waiting you know and so maybe there's a local hotel that we can hire a room or a few rooms that they can go there for. Um, so we, we've we've got in contact with our our coaches. We've found somewhere where they might be able to go. Who else do we need to be keeping informed about what's happening? Yeah. You know, we, we're rattling towards the transmission. Um, we need to be thinking. I think I think we probably need to take out the equation that it's a live show because I think it wasn't live and I don't think you would have been travelling them up literally hours before. It was it was a recording but it wasn't live so we could take out that live because I think it's unreal that you would be doing that when there's only us. So you know but so there, there is still a studio recording which is very expensive. There's lots of people waiting so at all times you need to be feeding that back to production so they're aware is there something else they could be doing you know are they in the studio at that moment what other things could they be doing because the studios are very expensive and just all the time updating who obviously not going to update everything you just there's key personnel that you're going to be updating you're going to be updating your production manager or your whoever's in the studio so you're letting you know what else is going on so okay so we've no, got say, yes well, do like when you're when something like that happens you might have cars and other people on the team who can drive and get them or you know is there a small coach company that can bring them up from where they are how long is the train going to you know the, the bringing the bringing the train company is a very good one how long are these trains shut for how soon can we get them out there um, and also just to inform I mean they probably are but just let their, their agents know this is what's happening and we you know before the agent starts ringing you up saying you know what you're doing about it we know this you know, everything's fine. It's just that reassurance that everything will be fine. It's, it's that swan mentality, isn't it? You know, at the top, you're calm, and I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything's fine, you're fine, you're fine, everything's 
time, but you're just trying to, and it's it's all about just keeping talking and sharing, and, and I think that's a really good point that you suddenly realise two hours later you haven't told anybody. And this, this is a bit of a side question, but um, after they arrived and the recording starts, um, may I ask about compensation with the train company? I know that would come later. Definitely, we're so, trying to yeah, get that if, back, isn't it? This, it yeah. You could go on to that. I would think. I would think that the train company probably would be offering that to everybody anyway. Yeah. But you would need to start thinking about that because you want to yeah, get legal those. things to go through that. Yeah. But I think you know, there's always they're, they're they're on the train. They're fine. You know, do you need to get food for them? It's just keeping. We sort of, I mean, it's no hard and fast rule of how to do it. I yeah. think, you know, your point is completely is. They're safe, Kyle is safe, you know, where is going? And they've got there. 